the idea is that acorn becomes an oak tree. So are you planting seeds thinking that they're going to become something that they're not? And if you really want to uh, bake in flexibility and freedom of time into your personal life, you know, this is for maybe executives or entrepreneurs or even employees. Why do you keep telling yourself that one day you'll have it after you do all these things? A cake is not sweet if it's not, you know, baked without sugar from the start or whatever you're putting in there to make it sweet. It's the same thing with your life. You think you're going to have more time later to do things you really want to do if you're not baking in time from the start? No, no, it doesn't work that way. In fact, you will be more profitable and more productive if you remove yourself as the bottleneck and you bake in your values from the start. Value your time. Don't time your values. What are these values on your wall here for if you're not going to actually apply them to the work you're doing in the immediate and only celebrate them at the end of a project after everyone sacrificed their family. That's weird. That's normal. That's weird. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Welcome back to Lead the Team. Y'all, I've got a really fun interview coming up at you right now with Richie Norton, who is an award-winning author and serial entrepreneur. He's an executive coach to CEO who's been featured in Forbes, Bloomberg, Business Week, Entrepreneur Inc., et cetera, et cetera. Huffington Post, uh, Pacific Business News recognized Richie as one of the top 40, under 40, best and brightest young businessmen in Hawaii. Richie is one of the world's leading thinkers and top 100 coaches as honored by the MG100. And if you're not familiar with the MG100, that's Marshall Goldsmith. And he is the CEO and co-founder of Product, which is an Inc. 500 company and a global entrepreneurship solution, helping businesses go from idea to market with full service sourcing, product strategy, and end-to-end supply chain. Now, he is an author of several books, including Anti-Time Management, which we're going to dive into here. And one of the books, and Richie's listening, so I'll just say that, Richie, I loved The Power of Starting Something Stupid. Great title for that book. And I think I found out, y'all, from Seth, I think it was probably the Seth Godin or Brene Brown. I think I saw it mentioned twice by them. And a very interesting take on resumes that I've also read called Resumes Are Dead and What to Do About It. And Richie was born and raised in San Diego before moving to Brazil and then Hawaii. He lives there in Oahu on the North Shore, catching waves. Richie, welcome to you're so nice. You're you're way too nice to me. You know, we're you're so you're so good. <laughs> so grateful to be here. Thank you. Yeah, y'all, I've been following Richie for quite a long time, ever since his book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid, uh, came out. And uh, yeah, and I just love uh, a lot of what you've been talking about. And uh, Owen Video, also known as Owen, Owen Hemsath, is one of my coaches around video and YouTube. And he had Richie on 
uh, come speak to his uh, mentoring group. And man, Richie laid it on us thick with anti-time management. And I'm like, man, y'all, the lead the team crew needs to hear. So, uh, man, Richie. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love so, it. Oh my gosh. This will be great. <laughs> so let's so let's start this thing off. What's the worst advice that you've heard when it comes to time management? Oh, uh, that it works. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it worked, why why would we still be talking about it? Mm. Literally, there, there has to be a new book or a new thought or a new trainer every month, every quarter, because it doesn't work. That's the problem. We have these full calendars Hmm. and and empty lives. We have these full calendars and zero productivity. We have 200 years of people using time management. Here's the thing. It's not true. It does work. It works for what it's designed to do. It was designed 200 years ago. It literally, Hmm. uh, during the industrial revolution, post-industrial revolution, this whole time, we're not moving past this, but this whole time it was designed Hmm to measure every drop of blood, sweat, and tear from the worker, every movement of their elbow, their arm, and their hand. This was the scientific management that we've brought into uh, the 21st century. And I'm like, why are we doing this? We have, you know, they call it, it's called Taylorism and we have digital Taylorism where they're, they're watching to see if someone goes to the bathroom or not while they're working. And it's like, are you, what, this is the world we want to live in. So, so the worst advice Mm. is that time management works because it doesn't. I'm I'm so glad you said that. And I did not expect you to say that, but I think it's so perfect. So a little bit of insight here. My first job at a college was actually Taylorism. It was. Uh, which is named after someone with the last name Taylor that kind of founded this principle. But I was an industrial engineer. And so I did actually measure people's movements in the factories and quantified the impact. And so we would go around and every and every time I showed up at a factory, so we were, we were producing uh, textiles all, all over the world, t-shirts, and we'd show up and instantly everyone in there, Richie, would start freaking out. They're like, you're you're here to cut my rate, cut my time. And I kind of, I was really into that. I was like, I was being rewarded for really analyzing each and every movement. And, uh, what, what changed the game for me was when my boss said, you know what, Ben, I'm sending you down uh, uh, to Mexico, but you're not there to do an engineering study. You're there to work on the sewing line yourself. Whoa. And I said, what, what are you talking about? He's like, I want you to really experience what it's like to be sitting at a sewing machine all day and have to deal with that. And let me tell you, man, my back was sore. The rest, I was stopping up the uh, production line. I had terrible quality. I was not able to do this job very well, but it changed my perspective immensely in that moment. Um, Looking at time differently, because when you're under the gun like that, you you just look at things a lot differently than, than if you're sitting in the back measuring stuff. Yeah, they, they call that the Hawthorne effect, right? Too when people are the Hawthorne effect, meaning someone will change their behavior when someone's watching them, so mm. to speak. And and it's and it's interesting because they'll go, oh, they're they're getting better because um, we've told them to change the way they they move mm. and the the way way they do it. When in a lot of times in reality, they, they realize the subjects alter their behavior because of the awareness of being observed. So, I mean, I mean, think about it. Like, like if you, if, if we weren't on zoom and seeing each other right now, I probably wouldn't be moving my hands around 
right now. <laughs> and, but yeah. but maybe maybe I would. Maybe I would. But if I realize I was outside talking to you on the phone and I'm waving my hands around, maybe mm-hmm. I wouldn't because now people think, what's wrong with this person over here? See, so we mm-hmm. change our behavior by how we're being observed, but we also change our behavior by how we're being measured. And so I love talking to someone like you because I mention the idea of Taylor and Taylorism. You know what I'm talking about, but 99% of people, including CEOs, have no idea what we're talking about. And so they're practicing all these things that are ancient and not in a yeah. good way, not even realizing it. They, they have no idea where they yeah. came from. The awareness is not there. <laughs> yeah. But your book there. really does shed light on that right out of the gate. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, how, how yeah. things have changed. And so how, how have they changed? Because I believe in there, you called it the, uh, the future of work is here and it's post-management. It's the future of work in the post-management movement that you're calling. Yeah. Yeah. I'm calling it the post-management movement, the post-management era where a time where, you know, autonomous organizations are and decentralized, you know, we have all these words now that they, that they talk mm-hmm. about in crypto, crypto, which we, they've been around for, you know, in other, other situations too. But we live in a world where the person that used to do these movements that you would, that you would measure and watch, they're not there anymore because a robot does it for them. And people get sad about that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. sure. There, there's, there's, there's less people riding horses um, because we have cars, you know, and, and we start getting this. So now we have jobs with cars, but what if we don't need jobs with cars anymore? Cause now they're going to be built by themselves and they're going to be driven by them. So we keep going and going, going, what we don't realize is the human experience is actually getting better. We actually become more human when we don't have to do the things that we were precluding, meaning we were becoming robotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're you doing, were yeah, becoming robots. Tasks. Yes. Yeah, tasks that can be done. Yeah, and we're, we're doing the same yes. thing ever, ever, yes. repetitively. Yeah, so I, I'm optimistic. This allows us to become more human, uh, more creative. Allows us to use our minds in different ways. And I don't, I don't think we can ever underestimate how powerful uh, that is at work and at home. And uh, bottom line. This thinking, when I started writing this book, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're barely scratching the surface. But when I started getting into this, it felt like it was way ahead of its time. Because I kind of write to the future. Here's what's happening here. You know, here's what we need to do to prepare for it. And here's what you can do now so you can take advantage of it. But the pandemic accelerated us at a rate that no one ever expected. You know, uh, mm-hmm. technologically and the way we work, where we work, how we work. I know some people want to get back to the way it was. I know people want to talk about the new normal. I know people want to talk about all kinds of things. Got it. Cool. But at the end of the day, in the mindset of this generation, they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want. And you know what? Mm-hmm. You can bribe me with money. And maybe, yeah, when I'm down and out and you want to take advantage of me and I'm going to have to do it because I have to. Sure. But in their head, they know there's an alternative where before we did not think there was an alternative. Mm. We know there's an alternative. This is a very different world that we live in. So you might engage them for the short term and get them to focus on the, on the job and the work at hand. But yeah, as soon as, good. No, no, no. You're, you're, you summarize. I'm just, I'm just so excited. You're asking all the right questions. Keep, keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> no, well, I, I'm just, I, I'm just, I, I love it because you're right. I mean, from that standpoint, so engagement, 
like you say, they need the money, they need the job, they're concerned about the economic conditions out there. They're going to focus on the job, but how do you keep them engaged for, you know, beyond that? You know, because they be bringing in employees, you're dumping thousands of dollars of training into them. And I do, do a lot of training inside companies, and I'm always concerned about that. We're always focused on, like, I don't want you to invest in your employees and have them leave six months from now. You're investing in them and you want them to grow in the company and continue to con. Yeah. Yes. Uh, to yes, contribute. yes. 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 E- everyone in the last, every, every thought leader in the corporate space who's been talking to corporations has been telling them to focus on strengths and to focus on talent. And for good reason, but today we have all these people with great strengths and great talent who are choosing not to come to work and, and making more money by not coming to work, having more free time. And then you go, well, I see all these headlines because everyone's like, yeah, you know, we're going to have to now let everyone be autonomous and do their own work and do what they want. And then they're now they're saying, well, now this, you know, this great resignation. Now there's this, this recession that's that might be happening or whatever. Yeah. Now you ha- look, look, guys, you have to come back to work now and do this stuff. And you see Elon mm-hmm. Musk tightening down things and making people um, uh, go to work the way they used to. I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm saying corporations are going to do what corporations are going to do. They've been doing the same freaking thing for 200 years. Of course, they want you in the office doing the work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you as an individual, you have a choice now. Mm. If your boss says, well, you need to do these things, the person can either comply or not. And when not, they are more likely to leave today. You look it up. They are more likely to leave and get a better and higher paying job when they quit somewhere else than to stay. This is a CEOs. (laughs) You have a great problem on your hands. Because this is a way to attract yeah. great talent instead of lose them. Yeah, because they could stay and get a 3% raise or leave and get a 20% raise. And so you're faced with that dilemma. And so where, where are the CEOs messing up here? Like, what, what do they need to do to keep that employee in, in their company delivering and engaged? But they know they're only got a 3% raise available to them, maybe a 5% raise available to them. And they're going to be competing against this stuff on the outside. Yeah. That, I mean, I mean, that, that's a, that's a really good question. And, and I think it really depends on what their objective is. If mm. the objective is to keep an employee, well, then you're going to do all kinds of things. And it, what it actually turns into is uh, now that flexibility has become a corporate perk, flexibility doesn't exist anymore because now they're, now they're trying to reach into your home and, and ask you if you're working or not, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. so I, I would ask a, a different question, you know, ask a better question, get a better answer. CEOs, what's the goal of the goal? If the goal is to retain talent, why are we retaining talent? Oh, the goal of the goal is to retain talent to, you know, improve the bottom line, increase profitability, uh, you know, help the shareholders, uh, you know, do, do whatever to do, to keep your own job, which is, you know, their, their, their personal agenda. And then also to help the business move forward, which is their only job. And at that point, do I need an employee at all? And if I do, are they doing it well? And if they are, do I want to keep them? So you start, you start, you ask better questions when you start from What's what uh, Aristotle called the final cause, the goal of the goal, the success of the success. 
Because what you'll realize is, hey, you own a gym. Gyms are weird now because people are all videoing each other and putting it online and no one wants to be there, but they really do want to be there. But people are being hassled and it's a whole situation. And you know, you might get sick when you go in there because they're not wiping it down. You go, do I really want to run a physical gym or can I just put it online and 10 X my, my, my business overnight with a video program? See, when you start asking different questions, you can change your corporate structure in a way that enhances the bottom line without having to worry about all the overhead that you're trying to uh, justify. Yeah. I like that. And I like that final cause statement. It's so, <laughs> it's so ancient, right? I've, in your book, you said it was uh, it was Aristotle, or is that what you mm -hmm. is that what yeah. I call it? Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. What the, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Just just on that, like the, the idea is that an acorn becomes an oak tree. So, are you planting mm -hmm. seeds, thinking that they're going to become something that they're not? Mm -hmm. And if you really want to uh, bake in flexibility and freedom of time into your personal life, you know, if this is for maybe executives or entrepreneurs or even employees, why do you keep telling yourself that one day you'll have it after you do all these things? A mm. cake is not sweet if it's not you know, baked without sugar from the start or whatever you're putting in there to make it sweet. It's the same thing with your life. You think you're going to have more time later to do things you really want to do if you're not baking in time from the start? Mm. No, no, it doesn't work that way. In fact, you will be more profitable and more productive if you remove yourself as the bottleneck and you bake in your values from the start value your time. Don't time your values. What are these values on your wall here for? If you're not going to actually apply them to the work you're doing in the immediate and only celebrate them at the end of a project after everyone sacrificed their family. That's weird. That's normal. That's weird. Yes. And that is the normal and it is weird. Uh, because most people that I know, uh, especially in the U S they do that process where we go to school, then you work like crazy and you try to build up all these proverbial credits in your 401k. And then you'll have your, you'll get to be free and take those trips and spend more time with the kids when you're older or you're retired. Right. But by then, you know, you may not have your health. You may not, I mean, who knows? That's, that's really placing some bets on some longer term things. And I think one of the things that I was challenged by in, in reading the book. I think a lot of people will be is that you're really saying, look, that freedom that you want to enjoy in retirement as an executive, that may not be the wisest bet that you could be making right now. You could be making it right here, right now, having more freedom and then building your career, building how you run your business, how you run your team around that freedom. And I just think the word freedom is coming to me. There's probably a lot of other values that people think of, but for me, that's an important one. Yeah, and, no, uh, go, go ahead. I, I, no, I, I agree. I think it's just important for people to, to clarify in their minds that what time management, management means control. So what does time management mean? It means time control. You can't necessarily control time, but you can, you can try and control what you're doing. In time management, it was designed to, the real question is who controls your time? Because in time management, it was designed that your boss controls your time. So in anti-time management, we're moving, from, we're moving from they control my time to I control my time. They tell me what to do. I decide what I want to do. They took up space. I create space. And then you go, but at a job, they do tell me what to do. And they do, they do tell, of course they do. And you chose that on purpose. 
therefore work that way. Yeah. But if you would, if you would like there to be a balance between those, sure. It's called owning a project. You know, it's called trust. Hmm. You know, Stephen M. R. Covey's new book, Trust and Inspire versus Command and Control. So, so from the management mm-hmm. level, there's there's that. But from the personal level, since mm-hmm. you can't control your boss, from the personal level, you can decide one if you want to work there or not. Two, if you are working there, what's working, what's not working, and how to adjust. And three, you already know you have an alternative in your in the in the back of your mind. So you can always be looking for if you want something else or to create your own. And to me, flexibility has three parts. Autonomy, availability, and ability. Just because you're autonomous and you can make choices and you're able, because you are an able person, you have the means, Mm -hmm. you have the skill set, doesn't mean you're available to do it. Mm -hmm. Just because you're available doesn't mean you have the the ability to do it because of your skill set or your resources. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have autonomous. You might have to ask someone else for permission. So in every decision or every project or every event, everything we want to do, there are different grades or levels or degrees you know, of, of flexibility. But once you decide what you value and you act from that center instead of endlessly toward it, everything changes. Instead of working towards a goal, you work from the essence of that goal. It changes the way you do everything. In fact, it makes it so that when even when things don't work the way you thought they would, it doesn't matter because you're already living it. You're already creating it. You're already helping the customer. Even if mm-hmm. this helps people so much figure out that there's a thousand different ways to do something to get a similar you know, result. And so in that sense, you save, you know, I'm a Six Sigma person. I'm a Lean Six Sigma person. I'm a theories of constraint person. I learned all these things. I know these things. I also saw their flaws and how people are operating them and how they're destroying people's lives. Like I can see both sides of what's going on. But when you realize one decision can eliminate a bunch of decisions and create a ton of opportunities versus the way every single person listening to this call is spending their time doing five or 10 different things, trying to get one result you realize there's a lot of room for growth. You know, there's a lot of room for growth. Yeah. I love so much about what you're saying there, Richie. And I think a lot of people listening right now, they do their annual planning at work, right? They have to do their goals at the end of your goals and they do their annual review plan. But how many people are actually setting up personal goals <laughs> for themselves? And I, one of the things that really triggered for me is people listening you've got your corporate goals, right? Those are your personals, but those are the goals that are being set by the job, by the work. And Richie, correct if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is if you're doing that and you're not setting your own personal goals based on your own values, you're going to be set up to fail over the long term in your career because what you're saying is your personal goals and then let the professional goals to the company sort of be the linkage between that and what you do every day. But I, I think most people don't, aren't taking the time to do that. Yeah. Let, let, let's talk about that. So the average person in America, the latest stats I saw switches jobs every 4.6 years. So the idea that we're going to stay in one job uh, for 10 years or 20 years or 40 mm-hmm. years until retirement this oldness. Don't let anybody trick you anymore. That 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 trick is gone. That 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 trick has already been 
just, you know, uncovered as an actual trick and uh, you're, you're, it's not going to happen. So you, you, people should expect to be leaving their jobs and going other places for better or for worse, even entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're Mm -hmm. starting businesses or even different product lines, you know, all, all the time. So things are switching, things are changing. It's cool. Life's dynamic. It's fun. Why not? You know, it, it's a great way to live. The challenge is the real challenge here is don't lie to yourself. Don't tell yourself you're going to do one thing and get this result when you never will. Okay, this isn't right or wrong. It's just a self-assessment. Don't lie to yourself. So when somebody says, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm going to leave the corporate world to start a new business so I can get my life and time back, they quickly find out that they lose their life and time to the business. Hmm almost immediately. And why they create another job or because yeah. they turn their dream into a job. And hmm. they also brought with them their skill set from the corporate workplace, which emphasizes um, time management. And they decided to manage their time and fill up their calendar and they forgot their kids in the process. Too real. That's too real. But you can do it a different way. There is a way to have your professional priorities propel your personal ones and for your personal priorities to propel your professional ones. There's a way for your professional priorities to protect and preserve your personal priorities. I call it castle and and moat. You know, we, we talk about this in, in investing Warren Buffett does, you know, and, and talks about having an economic moat to protect what you're doing. This is happens in life too. If your castle is your dream, then your work, the way you work, a strategic moat, and how you're paid, not necessarily how much to an extent, your economic moat, they protect your family and your values. In other words, tell me if I'm wrong, but in my observation and in my research and in my interviews, most people spend their life working, telling themselves they're doing it for their family, only to have the breadcrumbs of time left over for their family on the fridge, on the fringe. Fridge works too, but on the fringe, when you can just reverse it, work expands the amount of time given. 80-20 rule. Hmm. You take these, these two principles and you go, you know what? Actually, I might be able to live the dream and create or find or work in a way, you know, a, a job in a way that actually protects this. Because right now, you already know how this works. We already know that by sacrificing all of our personal priorities to protect our work, works the way it does. That's why you're at where you're at. You know, I'm in a good spot. I'm doing really good. Maybe you're wealthy. Maybe you're not. No judgment. This isn't about right or wrong. This is Mm -hmm. most people don't go to work for work's sake. They work for something else. So what is the something else? And let's put that at the center instead of way out there yeah, on the front. That, that's the call to action that I'm hearing. What is the one thing that you're working for? And then anti-management is, well, bring that forward to today and start doing it. I can relate to that where you work like crazy, you know, like I'm doing this for my family. Or uh, another version of that is I'm working so hard to serve and help other people. Sure. But then you're not focusing on what you also need for yourself to keep you going in order to be serving in that mechanism. 
Yeah, it's it's no. not an it's not an either or. It's an it, it, it could be an if then. Mm-hmm. But in reality, money and meaning can and in my opinion should go together. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you want to sacrifice all your time for other people, great. But please don't complain that you don't have any personal time because that was a choice. Entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. I work so hard. I have this badge of work honor that I sacrificed my life way more than I ever would have at, at a job. Great. Oh, don't complain. Don't complain. Yeah. You chose that. You could have just as easily chosen a way to work that allows you all the time in the world, but you did, you chose not to. Stop complaining. Stop yeah, bragging. Yeah. I, having worked <laughs> in corporate for 20 years and then gone as entrepreneur route, that is the hardest thing that I faced in this whole journey is uh, not creating another job for myself, feeling busy, looking busy, and trying to run the business versus be the business. And I spent 20 years being the business, and now I'm trying not to be the business as much anymore. And so I'm trying to build my team and lead the team and uh, focus on the elements of what uh, I like doing the most. I like doing these interviews for you versus doing all yeah. the back office work yeah. in, in no. uh, doing that, for example. I love uh, it. I mean, it, look, I work with I work with CEOs from big, big corporations. I know them. I love them. We're friends. Um, and they'll, they'll ask me to come in to talk to them about their personal stuff or their professional stuff. I don't know, whatever, whatever they want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But every every CEO knows that their corporation is ninety nine percent work signaling, product pro, their productivity signaling, and one percent working, one percent productivity. They'll put a little sign on the door that shows how busy they are on their calendar. That calendar is not real. They're they're, they're in their they're uh-huh. in their dark little office playing little card games online. This is fact. They they set up all these meetings all day, and so it looks like it's all going to get done. No, the thing is that's okay. That's the way the culture is. You set it up this way. If you want it to be that way, recognize it. Hmm. If you don't want it to be that way, there are so many other ways to do it. We all know that a nine to fiver can get the same work done, depending on the job, in one hour. But they're stretching it out for eight hours or into work overtime because that's how they're measured. Yes. Yes. The measurement's driving the wrong behavior. Uh, there you go. There you go. And that, and I loved how you brought in, you mentioned Parkinson's law, which is work expands to uh, fill the time allocated in any 80, 20 rule. And those two rules combined can really help accelerate you know, business and enjoyment of, of, uh, of work than just stretching the stuff out. Yeah. Let me, let me make this real. The reason I, I share these things and the reason I think mm-hmm. this way, someone on the outside hear me for the first time, they might be like, one, how does he know this stuff? Or two, where does he, who do you think, who does he think he is? You know, and, and, and we're uh, three, where's this guy <laughs> okay. coming from? You Assume know? that question. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care. <laughs> it is what it is. Yo, you know? By the way, Richie Norton's <laughs> laugh is one of the most famous laughs in the metaverse uh, and the real verse. So you, you will hear his laugh. You'll never forget it. You're, you hear you're so funny. People are like telling me it's on their ringtone or that I should turn it into a uh, into something. I'm like, whatever. I should start the episode with that there, one. Maybe I will there, start the episode with go. the Richie Norton laugh. There you go. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. So the, the assume they're is, like, who is this guy? You got to get anti-time you got, management. You know, 
you got to get a little hardcore with corporate people because they use military language. They're enti- I'm an MBA. I went to Thunderbird. I went to the number one international well, right. school yep. in the world. Like, right. like I, I get this stuff, man. We use military language because we run a militant operation and people have to be in line. That's bizarre. Welcome. Well, this is not that. That was old. Stop it. So I talk this way because I'm just like, wake up. What are you doing? Your kids don't think that's cool, man. You don't think it's cool. And you can be making more money in a lot of different ways. So like, let's get real. But I, I'm real because uh, on this subject, because this, I mean, I've lived this. My son passed away and it woke me up. My brother-in-law passed away at 21 in his sleep unexpectedly. And it woke me up. My, my wife had a mini stroke and lost her memory. And that scared me like none other. And she got her memory back. We had three foster kids. I have, I have four sons and we have three foster kids. The foster kids came and went after two years, uninterrupted custody. We thought we'd you know, adopt them. That hurt like none other because we don't know where they are. My, my, I had another son get hit by a car crossing the street on his bike. He should be dead. Now he's out riding these 20 foot waves out here in Hawaii. And I say these things because why are you working? Hmm. You're not working for work's sake. If you were, there's a bajillion, zillion, million jobs out there that could pay zero or could pay a lot of money. You chose the one you did because of your upbringing. Hmm. And whatever you value, why are you still putting that way out there on the fringe? Why are we addicted to time management? Do you ever like go back and, and realize you're jealous of other people and their freedom of time, even though you're a millionaire? Do you ever like wonder why you can't just go on a whim and go do this thing? Do you ever wonder why your employees uh, are working there or aren't working there? It all comes down to time. How you spend your time is, is how you show your love. So like, if there is a way that you can be more productive and you can be responsible to your values to your stakeholders, to your boss, to your managers, without sacrificing everything you know, love, trust, or working for, without sacrificing the sake for which you come to work every day or show up in your, in your living room or on your cell phone every day, wouldn't you want that? Of course you would. That's what anti-time management is. It's the opportunity to work from the dream, not endlessly toward it. I just got a huge chill when you said, how you spend your time is how you show your love. Uh, that hit me. And I've, and it's not just, I mean, my mind, of course, goes to my family, uh, spending my time with them. Money, you know, money is one thing, spending is one thing, but spending time is a whole different element. And, uh, but also, how are you spending it with your team? Are you just leaders out there? Are you just, instant messaging back and forth with your team all day, or are you taking the time to talk to them and get to know them and creating like a family connection uh, with them uh, and your boss? So I, I just love that. I think that's a really great filtering statement that we can all apply. Get out your calendar right now. Look at how you spent your time this week, because that's how you're showing your love to. Right? I mean, it's pretty... Nothing more straightforward than that. 
Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. What's your advice to someone who just listened to that amazing wake up call? Um, and by the way, I, I, this is the law. Sorry, go my, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, my advice would be, you know, it's true. Hmm. You know, it's true. You, you know, what I just said is true. You might not know how you're going to apply it or why you would apply it or where you would apply it, but you know, it's true. Yeah. So stop telling yourself and using like a calculator mind and saying, I can't do this thing because, because your brain will tell you you're right, even though you're wrong. Hmm. But if you, if you think more algebraically, how can I do this thing without this terrible thing happening that I'm worried about that's been stopping me my whole life? Over the next six months, over the next two months, over the next year, you, it doesn't mean you know automatically, but it does open up a space. It creates space in your mind hmm. for new ideas to come. That's what creativity is. If you go through the data from, from IBM, when they do all these different studies every year, you'll find that at one point they said that uh, creativity was going to be the number one leadership uh, quality. Then later, later, they actually said data or something uh, and your interpretation of data and things like that was going to be the number one you know, driver and something like that. And I was like, the juxtaposition of creativity and data. And you go, where, where's the world going? And then you go, and then you go, hold on. Aren't we lied to by data every single day? Or at least there's the, the spin of it. And now I, 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 in my personal sense, I think discernment is going to be the number one competency of leaders in this decade. Boom. It all comes Mark together. Mark Twain man. said there's liars, damn liars, and statistics. There you go. So, <laughs> or a version of that. Now, you know, you got, you got a leader yeah. in there that's driven by data. You're going to get what we got. You got a leader in there that's driven by creativity. You're going to get a creative organization, hmm. but you, you put an intelligent person that has a good heart and cares and wants to put two and two together. And they think multidimensionally, hmm. uh, you have someone. Yeah, so that's what in, are we doing in discernment in ourselves and others? Hmm. Yeah, That's a great question. And by the way, I've asked over a hundred senior leaders, what's the number one trait that they would like to instill in their employees have never heard distill or uh, sorry, you have never heard discernment. So that's an interesting approach. Yeah. I've, uh, I wrote an article about it a while ago and I use an, an old example of a, it's a drawing. And it's a drawing where if you look at it, it's, it's this is drawings like it's in the public domain. Like that's how old it is, right? And you look at it and you you wouldn't even know unless someone asked you the question. But the question is, do you see a rabbit or a duck? Because mm. depending on the, it's one of those kind of trick, you know, drawings. And so when one side says it's a duck and the other side says it's a rabbit, neither is wrong. But to the other side, they are wrong. Mm. discernment mm. leaders that practice discernment 
actively pursue and see not just both sides, all sides. And then they illuminate the rest of the team to what is actually happening so they can make better decisions instead of one-sided flat decisions. Wow. That, I mean, who wouldn't want that trait? I mean, that is a ability to, to see both sides. And like you say, I love what you said, illuminate those, those ideas to the team and fostering that. So listen, leaders out there, you're thinking about what you need to be. <laughs> what is the, what is the leadership trait to prepare your team for the future? Richie just laid one on you. You know, the, these, I'm sure I've had my own, you know, personal struggles. You know, I, I've, I've worked where I've worked. I've created the businesses that I've created. Um, I've done a lot of coaching and consulting because people have asked me to. And at some point you start seeing the insides of all these different organizations and people and projects, and you start seeing what works and what doesn't across mm -hmm. very, various different industries. And uh, that's what, that's what anti-time management shares. They're principles that anyone can use. It's a learnable skill, like riding a bike uh, in any industry uh, to work from the goal of the goal, to work from the success after the success because it creates a cascading waterfall effect of, of decisions. Mm -hmm. And when someone, for example, says, let's just start from something super simple. When someone says, Hey, I just graduated college. I'm going to get a job. Well, then they find a job that, that pays them and they move to a city. They don't not necessarily, but in many cases, they move to a city where they don't want to be. And they end up there maybe the rest of their life. Mm. Whereas someone else could say, same, same, same person, same class, or maybe it's a different person, same class, but the, this person says, you know what? I would rather live by a lake in Montana. Therefore I'm going to go to that lake <laughs> and I'm going to find a way to get paid there. Great example. You can choose. We've been told we can't, you can choose same money, different lifestyle. So, so what's your advice? So it's like they're listening, they're getting, they're, they're, like they're getting this wake up call now. I think there's been like five different wake up calls in this interview. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you've said a lead the team wake up call uh, record here. Yeah. So someone that's been working in a, in, in a job for 20 years uh, and, or in, a, in their career, and they haven't put that, that proverbial lake vision or ocean vision at the center of their career uh what's the first step i would I, I like to start where people are and then go and go there so i would say first you've you've heard about the difference between being efficient and effective and you've heard you can like like covey would say you can you can something like you can climb the ladder as fast as you can only to find out that you're on the wrong wall so we started using the word effective but i think there's a different word and I think the words effectual, effectual is encompasses both efficiency um, and effectiveness. And I call it effectualism. And the idea is that your time intent, like strategic intent is included. Everyone's focusing on cash flow. Why not focus on time flow? Why not both? Why does every project you start have to consume all of your time? Why can't it be a productive driver? Why can't it create time? So I would ask yourself, to make that real to you, I would say, where do I want to be in two years? If it was two years from today, 
where would you be? Hmm. What would be ideal for you personally, for your family, for your profession, how much money you're making, you're out of debt, you know, or, or, or maybe you're using debt, whatever it is. I don't know. You're, you're creating something. What does that look like? Once you have that in your mind, instead of, instead of saying, people always ask me this, something, something like this. I don't know what to do. What do I do? I, I don't know what you're supposed to do. It's your life. I can give you ideas, but you have to make the decision. Mm. So I say something like, when you know who you want to be, you'll know what to do. Because mm. when you know who you are, you will make decisions from that person, from your future self. So when you ask yourself two years from now, who do I want to be? You'll be like, hmm. Okay. And then you can see how you can start making decisions from that person right now. So in two years, let's make it up. Uh, let's say this person wants to like be able to have fun and travel the world, you know, and, and they have a specific dream of them wanting to go to Europe for some time. You know, a lot of people will wait two years to do that and it might not happen at all, or they could put it on the books for this summer and they could actually figure out a way to make it work. This is different. And that will impact the rest of your life and your kids' lives. They, they say, you know, I, I have this. I really am in this job. After I wrote The Power of Starting Something Stupid, it was fascinating that people would come to me for help to start their stupid idea. And all I had to do was ask them, yeah, but then what? This is what venture capitalists hate it when I talk to them about this question. I go, why don't you ask your people what they will do after they're successful? Because you know they're not starting this business to change the world. They're doing it so that they can cash out eventually and then do what they really want to do. Mm. You ask, you ask someone that question, then you'll know how to work with them forever. All right. That was rock star uh, insight. So I love this idea of identifying who you want to be, like your future self, and getting in the head of that so you can make proper decisions today to drive that. And I love what you said, too. If you want to be a really innovative leader, and I don't know any leader doing this. There could be, I'm sure there's some out there, but like you said in your venture capital example, if you want to really know how to engage uh, your top talent in your company, they've got to do this exercise. They've got to under, get inside, in, inside the heads of their employees and who they want to be, what are their career aspirations, and then try to work in career development and a plan for them. Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the, wow. the middle, the middle or core of the book, you know, outside the dream and the living of the dream is the operationalizing of it, which we talk about in there. We don't need to get specific now, but you know, the, the project stacking, the work mm -hmm. sinking, the expert sourcing, there's an entire way to operationalize your dream. Because at the end of the day, like if you change how you're paid, you'll change your life. And I, the key word here is how, because two guys can be, be paid a million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, $50,000. One has all the time in the world and the other doesn't. It's because one's required to do a certain thing they don't want to do necessarily. And the other one, you know, actually can do it from the top of a mountain or a boat. So the, these things we think about may or may not have been possible last century, but now they are. And because they are, anti-time management is designed to change the next 100 years of how we work. Well, wow. let's... Let's put a bow on this because, man, I got to keep talking to you for a long time on this. This is really good. <laughs> We're recording this. The book is not officially out yet, 
I'm sure the pre-orders are flying off. Uh, we'll see if it's 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 supposed to come out in August 2022, right? Is that when you're thinking it's gonna? Yeah, officially... it, it. They say it drops August 30th. You can pre-order okay. right now. You can just jump onto Amazon and order it, and then it will be sent to you when it drops. Yeah. And it would mean the world to me. I appreciate it. Well, this this is gonna make some waves. Um, I've been able to look at this thing, and I'm y'all. I'm telling you. It's it is a lot. It's a fun read. It's an insightful read. There's a lot of these wake up calls in there. Um, <laughs> and I just wanted to say, you know, if you, if you want to see somebody living out an example of this, check out Richie's Instagram feed and, and and doing that. I really enjoy that because you're really putting family and travel and these things central. You see how you're you're building out from that. So it's really cool to see someone walking the talk of their book before it's out. And even on LinkedIn too, uh, I've seen it there. So uh, last question I've got for you, it's a little bit of a tangent. Thought leadership for leaders in several organizations used to be like if you're writing a blog. And I wrote a blog inside of a company 10, 15 years ago, and I thought I was going to get fired if anybody found out I was writing it. And now it's like, okay, now it's encouraged, but, uh, and now we're seeing that grow. What advice do you have for leaders who want to grow their thought leadership? Okay. I, I almost said something and then I, and then I, and then I paused and, and did, <laughs> it didn't say it, um, but the, the, the first, I wish the you'd first... say that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first thought I have, but I know it's, it's sometimes challenging for some people, the first thought I had was simply just share it, post it the instant you have the thought, because your social media can become, whether people like it or not, or share it or not, whether you delete it or not, it can become like a journal of your thinking, even throughout the day, if you want it to. And then it can be refined because people will ask questions about it, or you can see what they're liking. And so if I write an article and people highlight it, I could turn that highlight into a quote. I could, and if people like that quote or vice versa, a quote turns into an article. And then I can take that content and turn it into a video. It goes on and on. Basically, you got to think of thought leadership like, like building a muscle. If you're always in your head, it's not going to necessarily build out. Hmm. You got to share it. Hmm. You got, it has to be challenged. You have to test it. You have to have other people test it. Otherwise, I'll just say, oh, it works for Richie because Richie's Richie. No, it works for, for you too because you're you. And it's a principle. So at the end of the day, I, I pause too because I know that sometimes people don't feel like they're at liberty and they might not be uh, to be able to just share things at certain times of the day or whatever they're thinking because it can have a major impact, which is sad. But wherever you share it, share it and write it mm. down. I, you know, I, I grew up writing music. I was in a punk rock band and I walked around with, you know, pen and paper and I just wrote down every idea that ever came into my mind. Now I do it on my notes on my phone and on social media, because you know what? We forget the things we think about. Mm. And then when we round down, we can reflect and then we can refine, we can reclaim, we can revolutionize. I'm going to keep using every Every R word I could R E like <laughs> <laughs> thought leadership formula from Richie Norton that I can. 
I'm pretty passionate about that because I think people are inspired and they have their unique ability and they have their unique experiences. And it actually makes me really sad when people don't share because, uh, and, and they just end up either saying nothing or criticizing. I really think it's important when people will share their unique experiences because it helps all of us. How are we supposed to continue on learning if we're not learning from each other? We have to. Great advice there, Richie. All right, everybody. So we kept you off with some great thought leadership there. Go out and apply that. Talking about sharing, getting your ideas out of your head, sharing, having a place to share it and capture it. And uh, yeah, it sounds like a great formula, Richie. Thanks for coming on the show today. You, you, you are so good. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Thanks. Hey, Thank you so on, much. I appreciate that so much coming from you. you yeah. Richie's been on like a million shows. He's, he's a, uh, you actually, Richie has a program too, right? About helping people become great podcast guests. I, right? Yeah, I do. I so, do. uh, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> hey, I'm not just saying that to give myself credibility. I want to highlight the fact that yeah, you're a, you're a great guest. Ally. It was it was only because I was scared of being a podcaster, so I was like, I guess I better be a guest. You know, <laughs> well, well, you've got your Richie's got his own show too, and now I have my show. The technology's gotten easier, so now here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. So yeah, Richie's everywhere. But uh, Thanks, the brother. most, you know, we talked about his anti-time management today, and. This is like a great place to start. We've talked about his other books, his other, you know, LinkedIn and Instagram, his podcasting. So he's, yeah. Anyway, what I would love to have you on again sometime, Richie. Thanks. Yeah, let's, let's do it. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.